You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Luke chapter number one. So before you, you're going to see and read with me some verses in just a moment about the birth of John the Baptist. And I want you to look, if you would please, as we look at this kind of at the beginning of the Christmas story in Luke 1. And I want you to notice in verse number 5. Would you do that for me? And I'll be not as long. I'll be, I'll be very short this morning. We'll get out on time. Uh, but, but I want to make sure that we are using the gifts that God's given us this morning in those amazing songs to now open God's Word and add to the music the Word of God, the precious Word of God. So notice with me here, verse 5, shall we? In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, that would be very easy just to pass over. It really would. I mean, all of us kind of know something about the days of Herod. He was the king back in, when Jesus was born. And it'd be very easy to just kind of mosey on into the rest of the text. But I want to stop there for just a moment and recognize how significant it was to be born or to, for all of this to be taking place in the days of Herod. Because it's very hard to imagine what it would have been like to be a priest back in the days of Herod, or to even be living in those days. Herod brings a whole new meaning to the idea of a tyrannical despot. I mean, this dude was messed up. He had some serious issues. In fact, when you begin to think about some of the methods he used to protect his kingship, it was crazy. He was a ruler approved by Rome, and at one time, he uh, ran out of money. And they needed more money, kind of like sometimes, you know, happens in countries today, right? Uh, great deficits, even in our own country. But here was Herod's solution. He killed the 45 richest people in Rome and took all their money to get more money. Kind of an interesting solution. He's a crazy guy, wasn't he? But that's not all. He was very insecure as well. He was insecure because he was always afraid that someone was going to take his throne. So again, kind of a strange solution. But when he felt that insecurity, at times, he thought his mother-in-law was going to take his throne, so he killed her. He thought one of his wives wanted to take his throne, so he killed her. He also was afraid that three of his sons would take his throne, so he killed them. I say all that to say this, it wasn't easy to be living in the days of Herod. So as we read verse number 1, in the days of Herod, let's remember, those were, those were very scary days. And it's significant for us to understand those days here. There was a priest named Zechariah. He was of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And here's what the Bible says about Zechariah, Elizabeth, and their home. It says that they were both righteous before God. It says about their home that they walked blamelessly, verse 6, in all the commandments and in all of the statutes of the Lord. Now, before reading on, we might just have this thought, and it would be understandable to have this thought about the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It must have been an amazing place to live. This must have been, they must have had an amazing marriage. This must have been a phenomenal home and a lovely home, wonderful children living the Palestinian dream, Right? But look at verse 7. The Bible says they had no child. And I think it's also 
significant for us to notice the word, but they had no child. Because there always seems to be that disclosure, regardless of how things may be looking in your life. There's always that thing. They had no child. Elizabeth was barren. They both were advanced in their years. In 27 years of pastoring, I've come to know that there are some things that can blow a hole in the side of your faith. Four things in particular. One is when I meet someone who is unfed. You know, we recently had the Thanksgiving Day feast and there were many that came through and ate dinner with us who obviously were in a very bad spot. I mean, they had no food. They had no way to eat. Some had no jobs. And even some of us have experienced days, lean days, where we don't know where the next meal is going to come. Our phone around this time of the year rings off the hook oftentimes and people coming up to the office trying to keep their utilities paid up and their lights on. And I know we could come up with all of our judgmental thoughts, but at the end of the day, could we just stop for a moment and understand that there is, is trouble when we're unfed? It's a hard time, isn't it? Second thing I've noticed as a pastor is it's tough when you're unwed. You know, as a pastor, I've, I've had the privilege of pastoring one church for 27 years. And, and at times I find that it is hard when someone is going through a time in their life where they are expecting by now to have been married, but it just hasn't happened yet. They've done all the things they should be doing. They've even, you know, they, they've saved themselves maybe, and they've been praying and seeking God and doing the right thing and staying in church, but yet they find them, themselves in a place, but they had no husband, but they had no wife. Unfed, unwed, unconnected. That's another thing I've known as pastor, that when someone... Uh, comes into the church or comes into your world and, and they are just lonely. They are forgotten. Many times during this time of the year, we are, we are told that this is one of the most lonely times of the year for so many people because maybe they have no family. They're not connected to anyone or to any church or they've lost a loved one at this time of the year and they feel somewhat disconnected from, you know, from people and, and, and it can be sad for them. In fact, this reminds me to remind you of how important it is for us to be conscious of the fact that somebody may be here this morning and unconnected and needing someone here to love them, to show compassion to them, to reach out to them. Maybe there's someone in your neighborhood you could shoot a text to or, or send a card to or make a phone call to or invite to your Christmas party. Just someone random that you know may be unconnected and just need to know someone's thinking about them. That's a tough place to be. Unfed, unwed, unconnected. And then finally... Another tough time for someone is when they're infertile. No children. And here in the text, that was the situation. And yet God had a plan. And God always has a plan. That's why we can sing this morning, joy to the world. Because we know God has a plan. And so I want to talk to you for just a few moments on how to feel the joy of the Lord. Because I sense more than any other time of the year, that this seems to be a time where if we're not careful, we get caught up in our joy being found in the presence under the tree and not the presence of the Lord. And what I want us to connect with here today is where the joy comes from and how we can be filled with that joy, how that joy can overflow in us. And I want to show you in the text how we can see that. Look, first of all, four things in the text, how to experience the joy of the Lord. Number one, I feel joy. Number one, when God's presence, again, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E, 
when God's presence is revealed. I feel joy. Notice in verse 8 of our text now, Luke 1. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. That's what the priest would have done. And he was chosen to do that. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then notice verse 11. And there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord. And this angel was standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I mean, that must have been shocking, right? Can you imagine waking up this morning, getting up out of bed, walking to the restroom, and there's an angel of the Lord? I'm thinking you don't make it to the, to the bathroom. I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's going to be a messy situation. I mean, whoa, you know. The angel of the Lord appears out of nowhere. Zechariah was experiencing that. What was his reaction to the presence of the Lord? Notice it says in verse number 12, he had two responses. His first response was he was troubled. His second response was he was afraid. He was fearful. Let's just address real quickly, just for a moment, the the troubled part. Because oftentimes we find ourselves troubled. You know, we're going through a tough time. There's something hard in our lives. All of us in this room are going through something. I already know that. I was taught as a young man, going, becoming a Christian, going into the ministry, that everyone's having a tough time. That's why we need to be good to everybody, be kind to everyone. Sometimes on the outside, we look like we have it all together, but there's something going on in everyone's life. And so here is a time of a, a, a troublesome time for Zechariah. The angel of the Lord appears to him and he's troubled. But what does the scripture say in John 14, 1? Let not your heart be what? Be, be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. God wants to make more things out of your, take more things out of your control and put them in his control. And this is that hard sometimes. Does anybody else have control issues in the building? Or it's just me on the platform. Good. A couple of us. Thank you. I feel much better now that you've opened up. <laughs> I mean, I've got control issues. But you know what God wants? God loves it when we, when we give him control. When we're out of control and he is in control, God enjoys that. He loves that. That brings joy. That's where the joy comes from. And then notice fear. By the way, that's the common biblical response to the revelation of God. It's fear. I mean, later on in Scripture, Luke chapter 1, in that same chapter, the angel of the Lord appears to Mary. and The Bible says the very same thing. She was troubled and afraid. Oftentimes, in the initial response of God's word, God's messenger, the angel, or even sometimes it's God's presence that brings fear. Our initial response is that. I can sense it sometimes when I'm preaching. You know, preaching the word of God, the good news. And yet I can tell there's some shock on the faces of the people in the audience. And, and oftentimes, you know, we are so in awe of God. Why? Because we realize at times God is awesome and we're not. Can I get an amen? God is great. And when we really come into his presence, we realize we're not as great as we may have thought we were. <laughs> and it's humbling and it's fearful. But you know, God's presence is about to be revealed and the joy is about to flow. The king is coming. The birth of our Savior. I like what it says in Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11. You make known to me the paths of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. 
That's where the joy comes from. In the presence of God. I remember years ago, uh, there was a song written by an old, I think he still sings some, but he, back in my day, it would have been, you know, the first contemporary artist, you know, that you didn't want your mom and dad to find out you were listening to, you know? And it was, it was Steve Green. And he wrote this song, literally entitled, I was thinking about it as I was writing this message, that's where the joy comes from. <laughs> your life and mine are empty vessels waiting to be filled. God is pouring out a joy unmeasured on those who obey his will. He is the giver. We're the receivers. So what you see in me is only a gift from the spirit of life who fills my heart constantly. And that's where the joy comes from. It comes from the father of lights, from the Lord above. This joy that I have that I'm singing of is from above, the songwriter said. And I say that this morning, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it comes in the presence of God. It's revealed in that moment. Number two, I want you to see here that we can feel joy when God's comfort is experienced. His comfort. Look at verse 12. So Zechariah was troubled, right? And he saw him and, his, and fear fell upon him. But the angel says, don't be afraid. Zechariah, your, your prayer has been heard. You're not going to believe this. Zechariah, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name John. The angel comes to give him that comforting news. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever experienced the comfort of the Lord? I mean, really. The comfort of God. God is just flat out awesome in the comfort category. Nobody can comfort like God. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. He gives a peace that can't be explained. I've seen it as a pastor of this church for 27 years. One of the things that we have as pastors is a front row seat to God's comfort. Because we get the opportunity to walk people through, oftentimes that valley of the shadow of death with with God's people. And the reality of God's presence in that moment is amazing. I mean, I've been by the bedside of saints who have been in their last hours and church members gathered all around the bed and were singing songs of praise and tears of of, of joy, not because they're dying, we are going to miss them, but we know we have a peace that God's presence is there and he's comforting us as that one falls asleep and wakes up in glory. Amen. It's an amazing thing. Yesterday I was at a Christmas party at Doug Gully's house and we were having a great time and there was a a pastor friend there named Lance Nelson who has preached here on several occasions. And Lance was telling me, I love these occasions because you get a chance to know people on another level, a deeper level. And I was talking to him about his life and asking him a thousand questions and he was answering all of them. It was a great night. And he began to answer some questions and he basically just told me this story about uh, some times in his life where he went through the valley of the shadow of death in ministry. There were, there were tough things. I mean, I was actually finding myself, you know, like wanting to jump into the story and defend him. And, you know, they did that to you? I can't believe it. You know, I felt myself getting a little bit anxious and he said, oh no. I'm telling you, preacher, there were moments, and I know this sounds a little spooky, but where God was so real to me. He spoke to me. He was there. He comforted me in that time of of need. Have you ever been there? 
Have you felt the comfort of God? Because that's where the joy comes from. That's where it comes from. I'm sure some of you may look at me if I give an announcement about something we're going through in our family and something maybe Carol Ann or whatever. And you might say, poor guy, I don't even know how he gets up there and preaches and keeps going. It's kind of weird to me. No, no, listen, it's not as weird as you think. I've got the joy of the Lord. You see, it's on the inside and sometimes it wells up and overflows and comes out on the outside. Every Sunday morning, in fact, it usually does. Because it's joy. And though I've got trouble, and though I've even got some fear, I want you to know that can go away oftentimes when I allow God's comfort and his presence to flow in my life. Number three, I feel joy thirdly when God's provision is detailed. Now here's where your participation is needed. Not out loud, don't worry. In your heart and maybe on paper in a moment. Look at the detail of verse 13 through 15 in our text. It's incredible. It's incredible. Look at the detail here. So, right, the angel says, don't be afraid, right? We got that. Zechariah, prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. You're going to call his name John. Look at the detail here. You will have joy. Oh, there it is again. In fact, it was in every song we sang in the program almost. You'll have joy. You'll have gladness. And by the way, can I tell you what gladness is? A lot of it was going on in this top section of the ladies' row. I loved it. This top section over here was boogieing. Amen? And we're all, we're just, I mean, four or five of them. And I'm looking over, you know what I'm thinking? Joy is on the inside, but sometimes it wells up so much it has to come out on the outside. So when you see people moving a little bit, don't get nervous. That's just gladness coming out. Amen? Some of us, we don't realize, yeah, joy is on the inside, but sometimes it wants to come out. and It's just saying, let me out. <laughs> Raise your hand, smile. <laughs> Show somebody you really have joy. That's what that is, joy and gladness. They go on. And many, and many will rejoice at, at his birth. Can I tell you, we're part of that many. That's what we did this morning. That's what we've been doing all morning. We've been rejoicing at the coming of our Savior. For he shall be great before the Lord. I want you to notice the detail here. And again, it's a short sermon. This is a sermon in itself that I've got to preach in like five more minutes. But notice here, there's five things, five great details of, of the ingredients of greatness in this birth. Number one, I want you to notice, it says here in verse number 15 of Luke 1, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. Look at the details here. Why would he mention that? Because number one, greatness involves setting aside things that, that do not help me get to my destination. And so because the angel of the Lord said he's going to be great, he also gave the detail of, and he's not going to drink alcohol. Nothing's going to alter this dude's mind. He's never going to be put in a compromising situation. He's not going to risk it, take chances. See, greatness involves setting aside things in your life that keep you from getting to the destination God has for you. And the angel was, gave the details of that. Notice, secondly, he said he'll be great before the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Because greatness involves being spirit-filled. 
And he said, I want you to, I want to give you the details to this. Not only is he going to be great because he's not going to drink wine or strong drink, but secondly, this, this gentleman's going to be spirit-filled. This little baby's going to be spirit-filled. He's going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's going to be filled with God's spirit. Something I want to be every day of my life by God's grace. Notice next it says he's going to be great before the Lord. He's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Meaning thirdly, that greatness involves helping people to come and to know and to love the Lord. And that's what John the Baptist was going to do. And the angel was giving insight to this. The details are amazing. It's amazing. And I'm going somewhere with this. The details. Let me ask you a question before we move on to number four here. This fourth ingredient of greatness. Right now, how wonderful it would it be for God to use you and me to bring someone to the Lord? I mean, wouldn't that be great? To know that God could use us? That's what next year's theme's all about. Who's your one? Is there anybody in that one category? Is there a person right now that that you are asking God to use you to bring them to a place where they will know God, love God in a greater way? Greatness. Next, it says he'll be great before the Lord. He's going to go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. And he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Fourthly, greatness involves influencing your generation. Elijah influenced his generation thousands of years ago. John the Baptist influenced his generation a couple thousand years ago. And you and I have been given this great privilege to influence a generation today. I love it. That's why I mentioned the four children that sang a moment ago. You know why? Because that's the next generation. And to have the privilege to influence the lives of children. Some of the most important ministries in our church are the children's ministry and the youth ministry. To be involved in that. To give yourself to that. You say to me, you know, we have a children's ministry. We, we, we serve the small groups on Wednesday night. We serve the youth ministry on Wednesday night so they can serve and we watch their kids. So my wife and I and Joe, you know, we have, and we have like 40 kids on Wednesday nights. You say, Pastor, why do you do that? It's not laborious, boring. It's not even something I don't look forward to. Because if I get to sit and teach four, five, and six-year-olds something about Jesus and influence them for the next generation, knowing my years are short, their years potentially are many, that's a high calling, friend. That's a high calling. Don't you think you're, you know, well, I don't know. I'm just looking for, you know, I want a spot on the stage. I want a spot in the spotlight. Why don't you take a spot in the children's ministry with little boys and girls, you know, that you got to wipe their snotty noses. It's okay. That's the next generation. Hallelujah. Why did word that I just mentioned snotty noses? I have no idea. It's that time of year, right? But I can get excited about children because it's the next generation and greatness always influences the next generation. And then notice, finally, it says, he's going to be great before the Lord to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Greatness of all is bringing people together. A people prepared. Bring people together to do something great for God. So notice the details here. Now, here's my point. Listen, the joy comes from detailing what God is doing in your life. That's where the joy comes from. Taking the time to detail. Remember the old hymn, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, because it might surprise you what the Lord has done in your life. You might be shocked. 
I mean, listen, it, may, it might take that frown right off your face. It may put you in a much better mood. It might even get some gladness out of you in, inside of your joy. Because when you begin to, look, I've got problems, okay? But when I begin to detail the blessings of God in my life. I mean, yesterday I got to spend, I got to babysit Jules while Tiffany and Joe went to uh, KJ and Bentley to the Nutcracker. And my wife and I got to babysit Juliet. Julia Joy. Thank you, honey. Another sermon illustration. Julia Joy. Listen, it was incredible. I forgot what it was like to, to have a baby. Things were crazy. I'm like, you know, uh, the, the diaper changing and, and the things and the, and the waking up and the crying. And you're, and you're just, and, and, like, and Caroline says, I remember you weren't as good with babies as I, you know, as, and I wasn't. I'm not as good, you know, as far as that kind of a thing, you know. But I had, I played with her. I had a blast. And I thought, you know what? I can't think of any problems I've got right now. I probably got 10 or 15. But you know what? When I detail the blessings of God, when I detail, detail, when I get down to, man, God, thank you for my wife, thank you for my kids, my grandkids, my church, my church family, my friends, salvation, Jesus, hallelujah. You know what our problem is? We don't take the time to detail the goodness of God. So we walk around depressed, discouraged, defeated. We don't look like we're saved. Why? Because we haven't stopped to detail. Detail the blessings. Count the blessings. And then joy and gladness will come from that. Don't let the season of Christmas go by without rehearsing what God has done for you. And then number four, I feel joy when God's grace is embraced. His grace is embraced. Look at verse 13. Let's go back for just a moment. And I'm going to close. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Time out. There's some significance to that. John. Remember Herod? We talked about the significance to being living in the days of Herod. Well, what about this name John? Why, why not Bill? Why not Fred? Gomer? Gomer the Baptist. You know, why not? Why not Eric? I'll tell you why. Sometimes we name our children. I mean, we, we pick names we like, but it's not always that we pick a name that we actually look up what the name means. The significance of what the name means to them was everything. And so when the angel said, you're going to call him John, it was not, you might, here's an option. It's John, Bill, or Fred, one of the three. No, it's John. You're going to do this. It's, it will be John. Why? Because John meant the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And I want you to call his name John. Because Zechariah, Elizabeth, you may feel forgotten, but I want you to remember the Lord is gracious. He's going to give you a son. You're going to call him John. You're never going to forget this. You may feel lonely. You may feel depressed. You may be discouraged. But the Lord is Gracious, embrace the grace of God today. Embrace it. Zachariah did not embrace the grace of God and he lost his capacity to have joy. Look at it in verse 18. Zachariah says to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. In other words, what are you talking about? I'm going to have a kid. I'm not going to have a kid. I'm an old man. My wife's old. This is crazy. This is nutso. 
And the angel sadly has to say, because Zechariah did not embrace it. The angel says, I'm Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you this good news. And behold, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And because Zechariah did not embrace the grace of God and the good news and the joy of the Lord, judgment came upon his life. And for those nine months, he couldn't speak. He couldn't say a word. He couldn't enjoy those moments. And I feel that so many people today are missing the grace of God, choosing to distance themselves from God's goodness and God's good news because it's not coming in their time. And God says, look, I promise you, I've got this. It's going to be amazing. I've got a purpose, a plan for all of this. Embrace the grace of God. Your capacity to enjoy Christmas this year is going to be directly related to your willingness to embrace the message that God has been gracious to you. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. You won't care anymore about the presents you get under the tree. It won't matter. That's all just icing on the cake, church. Oh, they're nice. I'm kind of curious what the kids are going to get me for Christmas. Oh, we all, it's okay. We're all, we're all normal, right? I like a gift. But can I tell you something? It doesn't determine my joy. My joy is based on the fact that God is gracious today and tomorrow and the next and the next. And even though I'm living in uncertain days, and even though there's things in my life right now that I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, I don't know what that phone call is going to say. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I have no clue, but I know this. God's in control. So I've got joy. And I'll be here next Sunday. I'll be preaching. And I'll be happy about it and excited about it. And, and the joy of the Lord comes from knowing that God is in control. And finally, I want to make this statement to you. The joy overflows in spite of what your weakness is. When you can still say, in the midst of whatever problem or heartache you're going, you can still say, God has been gracious. So look up, church. God's in control. Man, listen, let the joy, experience the joy so the gladness can flow. And if you are here this morning and you've never experienced that, and this is so strange to you, and you're wanting to find out how you can get connected to this source of joy, I've got good news, good, good news. If you'll step out in just a moment and see me or one of our elders at the altar, we'd love to take a moment and give you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What amazing miracle that is in our lives. Shall we bow our heads and close our eyes?